For WCYB Digital Radio, I'm Steve Morgan. Joining us is Charlie Schrem, an entrepreneur and Bitcoin pioneer. Charlie, welcome. Great to have you on with us today. Hey, it's good to be here. So Charlie, you are a well-known podcast host. You do a fantastic job. You have a large following. It's a treat to have you on and sort of turn the tables around and you're a guest today. A lot of people know you from your background and I'll ask you about that in a little bit. But first, tell us about your podcast. Podcast is called The Charlie Shrem Show and thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. I feel like podcasts are the last source of independent media. We are where people go to get the real information and the real news and the real content, and they know we're not being influenced by like the mass media and all the people that pull those strings. But the show is called The Charlie Shrem Show, and we cover things from my background and in the early Bitcoin days, and we interview the, all the top CEOs and people that have founded the industry. Also have on a lot of politicians, everyone from CEOs of banks, just people that I feel like have a great story. We've been doing the show for five years, and it's such a treat to have a great audience that is so loyal. Well, there's so much to your background, Charlie, but as you say, the media can sensationalize or distort. Hopefully, sometimes they get it right. But if I had to sum it up just quickly, the media portrayal around you is a young man who made a fortune in cryptocurrency before losing it all and winding up in prison. Is that fair? Yep, it's exactly fair. <laughs> and then had to make it all back a second time. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, we tried to pull some stuff out of the media and get it right. So there's a lot of ground to cover in your background. How did you first get involved in crypto investing and exactly how many millions did you make and how quickly did you do that? So I grew up in Brooklyn and grew up in like the yeshiva world. I was very religious and I was leaving the religion because I just kind of like lost faith, if you will, and fell in love with the whole world, with food, with traveling and with just being a part of the larger world. And I was in college running a startup and I was probably 21 years old or 20 years old even. And I was part of the original like group chat groups that where Satoshi was. And we were all chatting about Bitcoin in the IRC networks on Freenode that Satoshi created. And we were all talking about more gray hat type of stuff in that world. And someone just came along and said, hey, you should check out this Bitcoin thing. And I was like, what is that? And it just kind of seemed like a downloadable version of PayPal. And it was just probably late 2010. And so I downloaded the software and it was just a simple like little file that you downloaded and you ran like a very simple like 90s era looking software. And it was like the Bitcoin QT wallet as Satoshi wrote it like very poorly in C++. And we downloaded the software it would actually, it would be a wallet it would actually be a Bitcoin miner because at the time the software was one and the same and you were a node validator. So as long as you had your laptop running the Bitcoin software, you were probably earning one Bitcoin an hour just by having it run back then. I remember you'd open up your computer the next day. If you weren't looking at it, you had 15 more or 16 more Bitcoin the next morning or something like that, just from mining on your computer, on your Mac or your Windows. But I understood it as like a downloadable version of PayPal. I didn't really see what's the unique factor of Bitcoin. Like, why is this so interesting to these few dozen people? Then it hit me that when I was doing a transaction on this thing, so you'd open up the wallet software, someone else in the group said, here's my address. Now you've ran the software for a day. You have 15 or 16 Bitcoin or maybe more. Send me some just for fun. 
And people would just start sending around these Bitcoins just for fun. Like it wasn't worth anything. Mm -hmm. It wasn't even traded on any exchanges yet, or there was no place to really even create a price. There was one guy set up an Excel spreadsheet online that you can see what people were trying like blocks of 10,000 Bitcoin for like $10 or something like that. But Gavin, there was a guy who set up like a faucet where you had free Bitcoin actually. So you can go up on the faucet and just put your Bitcoin address and get like a couple of free Bitcoin just so you can play around the network. And ran the software for a couple of days, started sending Bitcoin around. It still didn't hit me yet what was so unique about this thing. But then I opened up another file on my computer. And what I saw was that not only was I maintaining every transaction that I was doing, but on my computer, I was maintaining a transaction of what everyone else was doing in real time. So I was now the database maintainer for this digital currency system, where otherwise PayPal would be the account holder. It's kind of funny that all these years later, PayPal actually accepts Bitcoin when we're using PayPal as an example of like how Bitcoin is different from that. So we were running the Bitcoin software and understood it that the light bulb hit in my head that all of a sudden I was maintaining the database and the ledger and so was everyone else. And there wasn't a centralized database. The ramifications hit me that this payment system, if it ever took off, if it ever included other things that wasn't just money, but data, this was during the kind of the Arab Spring at the time. If this included all these other things and you can have like internet that can never be turned off, if you will, because data could be encrypted and decentralized all over the world using smart contracts. I had this like immediate vision and was radicalized overnight, like within minutes. And actually other people that got involved in Bitcoin very early on will tell you the same story. Like Roger Veer, who's known as Bitcoin Jesus, he went to the hospital because he just didn't eat for a couple of days. He would just would read about Bitcoin, studied it. Like we became almost like fervently Bitcoiners almost overnight. So you mentioned Satoshi. I obviously know who he is, not to date you and I, Charlie, but you know, there's a lot of young people who tune into us as well and they won't know. So just tell us quickly who he is. And I'm curious to know if you spoke to him directly. So no one knows who Satoshi is or the group that was Satoshi. Like I was very fortunate to be part of the lucky group that were involved in the last days of Satoshi, but I probably know more information than most. And the times that I've gone down the route to find who Satoshi is or even like entertain my mild curiosity, it's led me down some bad places. So I'm content to like not go there again. So let's talk about BitInstant. Anybody who knows you knows the name, but maybe they don't know exactly what happened. That business really took off. It was one of the early crypto success stories until it ceased operations. Can you give us the backstory on that business and ultimately how it ended? Yeah. So as the story continues, fell in love with Bitcoin and realized that I needed to like do something to help it grow. So this was early 2011 and I met on the Bitcoin IRC networks, the, the chat groups and the forums. I met my partner, Gareth Nelson, my business partner, who we ran BitInstant together for three years. And he had this idea where we need to figure out a way to make it easier and faster for people to buy and sell Bitcoin and create some sort of like a market for it where we can have a price. And at the time, the only other way to do this was this early Bitcoin exchange called Mt. Gox, 
that stands for Magic the Gathering Online Exchange. It was a very rudimentary way to buy and sell Bitcoin. You'd have to wire money to the CEO's personal bank account in Japan, wait a couple of days, and then put in like an order of what you want and someone else would have to respond. And it was very like a week or two slow and there was no way to have price discovery. So we realized for this to grow out of the chat rooms and the forums that it is because we had an economy. We had people buying and selling things with Bitcoin. We had transaction and growth. We had new wallets and creation. This was growing, but we had no price discovery or market. So we launched the idea of BitInstant, which I said, I'm going to go out and make relationships with all banks and payment processors in the US and Canada and all these places. And then Gareth built the software and we made it where you can walk into a CVS or a Walgreens, hand them like a QR code that you've printed from my website. Mind you, this is 2011. This is before anyone used QR codes. We were using barcodes and hand them like $500 and they would do the transaction for you at a 7-Eleven or we had locations all over in Brazil and Russia and Canada, the US. You can go in and do this transaction and within 20 minutes, you'd have Bitcoin in your wallet. And that was phenomenal. Same thing on the other way too. You can sell it at the same time. And BitInstant at one point was like not only a significant portion of people buying and selling Bitcoin, but we were like 30% of all on-chain Bitcoin activity at some point. And then Coinbase launched and then the next wave of Silicon Valley startups launched. And we were just like scrappy kids running this thing out of our Brooklyn basement. And we ended up at our high point, had like 30 employees in a New York City office. And they were fun days. They were really fun days. Ended up launching the Bitcoin Foundation out of that. Ended up meeting a lot of amazing people and being responsible for a lot of early Bitcoiners and selling them their first Bitcoin. The Winklevoss twins, Barry Silbert and Matthew Mellon and all these amazing people. And those were the good old days. One day I'll write about it. So we're talking Bitcoin and crypto. Talk to us in terms of U.S. dollars for people who aren't wired into our space, can understand the magnitude of what you did and what BitInstant did. How many millions did you make and how quickly and how big was BitInstant if it was measured in U.S. dollars? BitInstant was doing like a couple of million dollars in volume a day, which was in the Bitcoin world unheard of. And I was turning around and I was like a 21, now 22-year-old kid. I was making a bunch of money hundreds of thousands of dollars like a month and living above a nightclub in New York City that I was running with a bunch of other Bitcoiners that we were the first nightclub to accept Bitcoin. So people were coming in and buying bottles of champagne with Bitcoin. That's kind of how big it got. I was called the Bitcoin Prince and things kind of got crazy. So what happened with BitInstant? How did it end? BitInstant ended because a couple of things happened in 2013. The U.S. government came out and said that all Bitcoin companies need these money transmitter licenses that we consider now Bitcoin money, where previously no one said what Bitcoin was or anything. So we didn't know what the regulations were. So at that point, we shut down. I think it was like May or June of 2013, and we shut down the company. And then I was in the process of trying to partner with another money transmitter so we can restart BitInstant and go live again. And at that point, like six months later, I was arrested at JFK airport. I was facing crimes of like money laundering and unlicensed money transmission, failure to file suspicious activity reports and things like that. And then I went through like a year of house arrest, pled guilty, went to prison for two years, 
and then did three years of supervised release and then came out on the other side. Now, I read a story in Reuters that said the money transmitting business was related somehow to the Silk Road marketplace. Is that true? Yeah, I think like a huge percentage of Bitcoin that was being purchased at the time in the Bitcoin world was for people like buying and selling things on Silk Road in the super, super, super early days. And we were trying to like get out of that world. Right. So, you know, you described to us in the beginning what it was like going from a religious setting in Brooklyn and kind of breaking out. And I get that. So what was it like for you going to prison and being in that setting for a couple of years? Oh, such an eye-opening experience and in a way, a huge blessing. It's given me like a life rock. And for your listeners who have went through similar type of experiences, whether it's like a near-death experience with an illness to yourself or family member, maybe it's some mental thing, some business-related thing that, you know, where your life is completely out of your control. When I meet people who have never gone through those type of experiences in life, I almost pity them. Because how can you go through life without having that experience of losing your freedom and losing your liberty? How do you cherish freedom and liberty without having it taken away from you? I know I didn't before. Maybe it comes with age. I don't know. But when I meet people with those life experiences, whatever they are, the wisdom they have are tremendous. So I was really given that life experience early on enough. It allowed me to develop a relationship with my now wife. We were just dating at the time. That involved like us being really close just over writing letters and things like that. But at the same time, it was a terrible, really shitty experience. I've had to force a lot of the bad memories away where you really do not remember a lot of them. It's like a weird thing. Like your brain is such a beautiful thing. And it really does push these like really bad stories and things that you experienced and feelings that you felt. PTSD is unfortunately a really, really bad thing. Without the help of therapy, I wouldn't be able to even be talking about this to you today. And the criminal justice system sucks. If I wasn't like middle class and white, I would be, again, not talking to you today. It just doesn't, like, it's not equal. It's a shitty system in this country. There's a reason that we have 80% recidivism Eight out of 10 people go back, and it's because the legal system favors people with at least a little bit of money or someone who can read a book. We should be funding public defenders a lot better. We should have a better system of like figuring out if someone can pay for their attorneys, and if not, one will be given to them because it's such a shame. It's such a shame. Like almost no one that I was in with had a real lawyer. And then by the time they get one, because they're in and they have time to read a book, it's too late. Yeah, that's my rant on the criminal justice system. So Charlie, aside from the podcast, which I mean, that's an amazing initiative and obviously it has to take up a lot of your time. What else do you do today? What is life like for you today? Are there any other business ventures you're involved with? Yes. So in the crypto side of things, I'm an active investor in Bitcoin and crypto companies. I started a VC fund a couple of years ago with my friends, family, and other early Bitcoin and crypto people. And we raised around $13 million. We're halfway deployed and we've invested in like 14 or 15 different Bitcoin and crypto companies. They're my family. All the entrepreneurs, I talk to them every single day. They take my hours. We do Zooms and figure out how to navigate all of the problems and the issues and stuff like that that can come up in running a Bitcoin and crypto company. So that's amazing. I have a lot of fun doing that. 
for the fun side of things, my wife's an actor. She's been an actor for two decades, actually three decades now almost since she's been a kid. So she's always been in the movie business. I made a couple of movies with her in the last couple of years, and we just finished a film called Dark Knight of the Soul that we shot in upstate New York. We just finished it two weeks ago. She's one of the lead actors in that. She stars alongside with Martin Cove from Karate Kid and Cobra Kai. He's John Kreese. And then Kristana Loken, who is the female Terminator from Terminator 3. We just finished that, and I'm excited to see what that looks like, and everyone will get to see it next year. We have some films that we did together. We have one called Ask Me to Dance. It's on Amazon and Apple TV, Amazon Prime. It's on Tubi, everywhere. It's called Ask Me to Dance. It's a phenomenal rom-com. Thanks for letting me plug my movies, by the way. And we have another horror movie called Trauma Therapy Psychosis. <laughs> That's everywhere. It's Tom Sizemore's last film before he passed away. It was so much fun getting to work with him. We bonded over prison. So that was a lot of fun. Wow, fascinating. So you're still young, Charlie. What does Charlie 2024 and 2025 and beyond look like? Looking ahead, what are your plans? I have to write this book because I'm realizing with age, I'm in my mid-30s that you start to forget things. So I have to finish this damn book that I've been writing for 10 years. If I can complete that within a year or two, I'll be pretty proud of myself. But other than that, I don't know. My wife and I were talking about it this morning. I said, the beautiful thing is when you wake up in the morning life is that if you just leave yourself open to opportunities where things can make you happy, then life's such a great thing. But I also don't like to surround myself with those little things that can just make me really pissed off the rest of the day. Right. So I need to work on that. But that's really it. Well, if there's any room in your calendar then to come back on with us in 2024, we cover a lot of crypto crime at CryptoCrime.com. And I think you have a unique insight. We'd love to have you come back on. I'd love to be on the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Charlie Shrem, talk soon. Thank you. For WCYB Digital Radio, I'm Steve Morgan. Today's guest was Charlie Shrem, an entrepreneur and Bitcoin pioneer. You can follow all of our media at cybercrimemagazine.com. <laughs>